Welcome to the Buckhead Church Podcast. At Buckhead Church, we are for Atlanta because we believe that God is for Atlanta. And these days, it's more important than ever to be known by what we're for. And we hope this podcast helps you in your life and faith. We want to help you find greater hope with fewer regrets because we are for you. If it's your first time with us, head over to buckheadchurch.org slash new so we can meet you and send you a free For Atlanta gift on us. If you're not already receiving weekly emails from us, make sure to head to our website, scroll to the bottom, click stay informed and sign up today. The best way to keep up with everything going on is to follow us on social media, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free Buckhead Church app. But most importantly, I hope the following episode inspires you to take the next step forward in your faith journey this week. Enjoy. So um, as we've uh, said throughout this series, like anybody needed to tell you this, repairing a broken or strained or, um, you know, disrupted relationship is difficult. And oftentimes we, we want to, right? Because it's, it's just awkward, there's too much tension. It would, just, it would just be great if we could just push a magic button and we went back to where it was or things just got fixed. So sometimes we want to, um, sometimes we, we know we ought to want to. You know, if you ever get stuck here, it's like, you no, know, I don't really want to, but I want to want to, I ought to want to, but I don't want to, but I know I ought to want to. You ever get stuck in that cycle? It's like, well, I, no, I'm not going to. I know I ought to be going to, but I, I'm just, you know, because there's just that tension, right? And some re- sometimes um, the reason we don't make any progress is, as we've said throughout the series, sometimes we just don't know how to because um, repairing a broken relationship is not intuitive. We, we generally go for the wrong levers and the wrong buttons. And one of the reasons it's not intuitive is repairing a broken relationship requires humility. And humility, maybe I'm just speaking for me, humility does not come naturally. Um, stubbornness comes naturally. I was right comes naturally. You apologize first comes naturally. You got the bigger piece of the blame pie, so you go first. So that, you know, that just doesn't come naturally. And um, the other thing that makes this difficult is repairing a broken relationship is actually a skill. It's a learned skill. And if you haven't been learned, then you don't know how to do it. And if I haven't been learned, I don't know how to do it, but we try. And then when we fail, we just you know throw up our hands and say, I don't care. And oftentimes we just give up. And if we don't know how to do it, it means somebody needs to teach us. And ideally it would be great if somebody would model it for us because some things, you know this, some things are more caught than taught. So specifically, if you're a parent, and this isn't gonna be a talk about parenting, but I just wanna dive into the parent-grandparent thing for just a minute. If you're a parent, you need to teach your kids how to repair a broken relationship. And if there are legendary or what should be legendary stories from your past where you repaired a broken relationship, then you need to tell your kids and your grandkids those stories. They need to hear those stories to know it's possible. And the main reason I think that you need to teach your kids how to repair a broken relationship is so that they will know how to break, so that they'll know how to repair a broken relationship with you when you break it. Because they'll think you're the ones that broke it. And you're, they're, you know, you're going to think they're, they're the ones that broke it. And it may be when they're 20 or 30 or 40. But it's somewhere along the way, you know this because you've had parents, right? It's somewhere along the way, it just things get a little wonky. And if you will go ahead and model for your kids and teach your kids how to you know, repair a broken relationship, when the relationship with you gets a little out of whack or a little broken, they will know what to do. Now, if you think, well, that's kind of self-serving. I'm going to teach my kids to, you know, 
repair a broken relationship so they'll repair their broken relationship with me. It's not self-serving at all. And you know this as well from your own experience. It's not self-serving because their relationship with you, your kid's relationship with you, isn't this true? It's going to be reflected in their future relationships. In other words, if they come out of your home with a healthy relationship with you, they are set up for more success relationally. We all know this. So teaching and modeling for our kids or our grandkids, here's how you repair a broken relationship. It is such an extraordinary life skill. And in your case or my case, it may have generational impact. Maybe not just this generation, but the generation beyond that and the one beyond that. And again, I'm not gonna talk about parenting the whole time, but I do, I wanna tell you where it begins with our children. And it begins with a personal pronoun. You remember, remember these, you haven't thought about them in a while, the personal pronouns. In fact, um, you might need a lesson in this particular personal pronoun. Let me, let me explain. So when we have three kids and when they're all 20 months apart by accident or providence, but anyway, they're pretty close together. And um, so when one would do something offensive to the other or hurt the other's feelings or just be you know, cruel to the other, we would do it. Every parent does, we'd say, okay, you know, apologize to your brother, apologize to your brother. And the, the apology would be so heartfelt, it would bring us to tears. It would go like this, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Anybody ever heard the one word apology? Just sorry, you know? And Sandra and I are like, we're such good parents. Listen, we're just, just have a group hug, have a prayer, you know? And we're like, no, we would not let them get by with that. We're like, nope. You gotta add the personal pronoun. And this is the first lesson in humility. It's I'm sorry. And we would literally make our children look brother and sister in the eye and add the I'm. I'm sorry. This is the early lesson in humility. This is where it all begins. It begins with owning what we've done, owning our slice of the pie. Now, um, somewhere around middle school, you know, it, it changed a little bit and went more like this, you know, tell your brother you're sorry. Brother, you're sorry, right? <laughs> Which is the point, okay? This is not intuitive and it bumps up against our stubbornness and you know, that thing in us that never wants to be wrong. And that's exactly why we're talking about it. So today we are in fact wrapping up our four part series entitled Reassembly Required, A Beginner's Guide. It's just a beginner's guide. There's so much more to this. A Beginner's Guide to Repairing Broken Relationships. Now, throughout this, this series, there's been a disclaimer and I wanna say it one more time because this is so important. When it comes to reestablishing or repairing or reassembling an adult relationship, the goal is not reconciliation. The goal is no regrets. This is so important. If the goal is reconciliation, that means you are moving toward this person with an agenda. And an agenda in a relationship is like a third party in the relationship. You know, it's like, okay, we're gonna reconcile. I heard this series, come here, come here, sit down. Sit down. We're gonna, are we, rec- I'm gonna, you just kind of like, no, we're not, I don't even wanna be around you. What is wrong with you? You need to find a different church. You know, what, what's happening, right? So when you, you know, when you have an agenda for someone, I mean, when somebody has an agenda for you, do you draw closer? Do you kind of sit back as far as you can in the booth? Like how long is, you know, is this gonna last, right? So the agenda, the agenda from our perspective is not reconciliation. Again, we don't control all the parts. We don't hold all the cards. Our agenda is we just want there to be as far as we can control it and to the degree we control it, no regrets. We wanna know that we did everything we could and we are gonna gonna continue to do everything we can. We did everything we could and we're continuing to do everything we can because reconciliation is a process, but also reconciliation is a posture. It's dynamic. It's ongoing because it's relational. 
And the win, the win is to go to bed every night and know, you know what, to the best of my ability, I have an open door policy, assuming that's a safe person. We're gonna come back to that in a minute. Now, the apostle Paul gives us a, a theme verse. And if you were gonna memorize like one verse to kind of associate with this topic, something to put on the mirror or the dashboard, this would be it. And the reason that may be important is because when we're finished talking about this, that, you know, that relationship that's unresolved is still gonna be out there. This isn't, you know, this isn't a one and done. This is a, this is a process. And I think this verse more than anything else in the New Testament or in, or in the scriptures sort of encapsulates the tension of relationship and the goal. So here's what the apostle Paul wrote. And we looked at this briefly last time. He says, if he's, so, he's such a realist, if it is possible, because again, you're not holding all the cards. I mean, this isn't like a broken plate. I can get all the pieces and glue them back together. I mean, there's another person involved. I mean, you don't have access to all the pieces. He says, if it is, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, in other words, the parts that you have control over. And in the Greek, this carries the idea of if you've got it in you, it's kind of a challenge. If you've got the grit, if you've got the determination, if you're ready for this, be at peace with everyone. The New, your English New Testament says, live at peace with everyone. But that sounds kind of like both people are involved. You have no control over that. The Greek text really kind of indicates, be at peace. In other words, you do everything you can do. I do everything I can do to remove any obstacle to reconciliation, which doesn't guarantee reconciliation because the other person has to be involved. But my responsibility is to remove every obstacle I can because reassembly, you know this, it begins with us, it begins with us, regardless of who initiated the fuss. Now, we've said throughout the series, and uh, reassembling a relationship requires four decisions on our part. We've talked about two, I'll, re I'll review the first two real quick, and then we're gonna jump into number three and four. The first decision was simply this, I will get back to, not get back at. I will get back to, not get back at. I am taking retribution off the table. There is no payback, this is get back to, just like, your father in heaven. In fact, if you're not a Christian or not a religious person, you know, some of this content will be helpful. I hope you found it helpful or you hope you find today helpful. But if you're a Jesus follower, not just a believer, but somebody who wakes up every day and to the best of our ability says, Jesus, I, I wanna follow you. If you're a Jesus follower, then we are to do for others what God through Christ has done for us. And do you know what he did for us? Well, interestingly enough, the, the verse after the most famous verse in the Bible tells us, the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. the next verse says this, listen to this, for God, he's talking about Jesus. He said, for God did not send Jesus, did not send his son into the world to get back at us, but to get back to us. For God didn't send Jesus in the world to pay us back, but to get back. He did not send him into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He, he came to rescue us in spite of our behavior. He came to rescue and establish a relationship in spite of the fact that we've been resisting the relationship all along. And then Jesus comes along and he says, follow me. Don't just believe in me. I want you to follow me. And I want you to follow my example. The, again, the apostle Paul, after he explains to this group of Gentile uh, new believers, all that God went through to create their, the possibility for their salvation. He says this, and this, is, this goes right to the point of this first decision. He says, all this talking about the process of having a relationship with God. All this is from God. Here's our word, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then he gave us the assignment 
of reconciliation. And English text says the ministry of reconciliation, but ministry is such a churchy word. And the Greek term here existed long before there was a church. It really means the assignment or the opportunity to serve. He says, we've been given the assignment or we're supposed to provide the service of reconciliation. He did, we're to do for others what he did for us. And then Paul finishes with this, it's so amazing. That God was reconciling the world to himself. God was doing everything he could to remove all the obstacles. That's why he sent Christ in Christ. And then this part, not counting people's sins against them. Because God knew what we know that's easy to forget and that we want to forget. That if I'm gonna reconcile with you, at some point along the way, I have to quit counting your sin against you. I've got to take whatever you did to me and I've got to get it out of the equation or we are never going to reconcile. And the point of the gospel, the, the, the reason we gather in worship is because God took it upon himself to take the main obstacle that stood in the way of reconciling with us and he moved it out of the way before we even knew about it that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And when Paul wrote that, this was like, hey, Paul was thinking, while I was still alive, you know, I'm down, I'm in Tarsus and way over in Jerusalem, my savior died for me. I didn't even know about it. While I was literally still a sinner, hundreds of miles away, Messiah died for me. And I didn't even know about it. God removed the obstacle of my sin so that he could be reconciled to me. So do you know what this means? Look at this. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And again, if you're not a religious person, not a Christian, I mean, take the pieces and parts that you want. I have no, I can't say you need to do anything. I don't have any authority over you. You know, nobody left me in charge of your life. But if we're gonna take what the apostle Paul said seriously, if we're gonna take what Jesus said seriously, we have been reconciled to God. That's the essence of our message. That's what it means to be a Jesus follower and a Christian. And if that is the essence of our message, if we've been given the message of reconciliation, how in the world do we carry that message into our world if we refuse to reconcile with the people around us? It, it takes us back to what Jesus said last week. Remember last week, he, not me, I wouldn't do it. He looked at us all, he said, if you don't do this, you're just hypocrites. You're just hypocrites. You're taking advantage of what God has done on your behalf and you are not willing to do that for the people around you. Second decision we've talked about is this one. This is last time. I won't spend much time on it. We will, I will own my slice of the blame pie. I will own my slice of the blame pie. And I'm gonna look in the mirror and I'm gonna take the pie out of my eye. And there may not be much pie in my eye, but before I try to get the pie out of your eye, I'm gonna take the pie out of my eye. I'm gonna remove the plank remember this, I'm gonna remove the plank, not so I'll be a better person, not so I'll be a healthier person. I'm gonna remove, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna focus on what my role in disrupting this relationship was. And I'm gonna remove it so I can see more clearly how to move toward and reconcile with you. Our third decision and our fourth decision today are things I've talked about throughout the series. I've kind of left some breadcrumbs along the way. I've, I've sort of sown this idea throughout the series, but I've not asked you to commit to it. So today I'm gonna take something we've talked about before and I'm gonna turn it into a decision that I'm gonna challenge you to make. The third decision is this, I will make the first move regardless of who moved away first. I will make the first move toward reconciliation regardless of who moved away first. And humanly speaking, the reason you're going to do this 
is because the most mature person in the relationship should take responsibility for the relationship, right? And I know you, you are the most mature person in the relationship, isn't that correct? I mean, when you tell your story about the things that he or she did, when you tell that story to other people, clearly you come off looking like the more mature person. Because they, what they did was terrible. What you did was, you know, you were just responding to something terrible and you know, your part was so small. When you rehearse the narrative about what happened to this relationship in your mind, aren't you the most mature person? Yeah, I mean, when I rehearse these things, not only am I the most mature person, there's a crowd, you know, in my mind. And I'm like talking to this person and I'm kind of giving them what for, explaining my side. And there's a crowd and they're going, you're right, Andy, you're right, Andy, you're right. And then they all applaud and I walk off and they look at this person like, you really, I mean, he's right, you know? Because I, you know, I'm right, you're right. So if you're right, if I'm right, if it's mostly them, well, then we're the most mature people in the room. And the most mature people should initiate reconciliation. That's humanly speaking. But there's another reason. In fact, this is, this is so amazing to me. Jesus' most inconvenient command, not his most extreme command, but his, especially within the context of the first century, his most inconvenient, what, what Jesus says, I'm gonna show it to you in a minute, was just flat out inconvenient, but it underscores this very point. In fact, it, it's so inconvenient and it's so tied to first century Judean culture. When we read it in our New Testaments, we just kind of read right over it. Like, I'm not so sure, but when, what that means, but when Jesus said this, I, I feel confident everyone in his audience just gasped. Like, like, what? Did he say what I think he said? It's like, okay, Jesus, okay, tell us a parable or something. You are, you've gotta be kidding. You want us to do what? But again, it's so tied to first century, you know, Judean culture. It, it, it doesn't even, you know, it doesn't even leave a mark on us. Here, here's what he said. He was teaching. He said, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and he's already lost us, it's like, whatever. What is, I don't know what he's talking about, right? Here, here's what he's talking about. He's, he's referring to this extraordinarily inconvenient trek to Jerusalem through the narrow streets of Jerusalem to the temple up the Southern stairs to get in line to offer a gift at the altar. Now you may live in Jerusalem, but still it's a, it's a, it's a journey, right? And you gotta take time off of work and you're dragging the kids and it's hot as, it's just really hot there if you've ever been there, right? And you know, the kids are crying and you know, it's just, it's just a mess and there's no fast pass. I know it's amazing. You can't even call ahead, excuse me. Um, what's the wait like? Three days. Okay, Frank, it's three days. We better get going. You have no idea what you're gonna find when you get to Jerusalem. And you, what is, what is this line for? Well, this is, you know, to get to the temple. To, I can't even see the temple. That's a long line, you know? And they have no idea what they're gonna run into. He says, so this is that day. You decide you're gonna go, you know, give your, make an, a sacrifice at the altar. And Jesus is very specific here. So again, it's something we miss. He's not talking about making a sacrifice for sin. This isn't like, oh, I've done some horrible thing. So I have a goat. I'm gonna go to the temple. I'm gonna sacrifice an animal and ask God to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of my sin. This is not that. He's very specific. This is a gift. This isn't an I owe God, an apology. This is a gift. This is someone who's just grateful. This is someone for whom God answered a prayer. This is someone for whom, you know, things worked out and they just wanna to go to the temple. So this is a really good person. This is a person who's kind of getting extra credit. I'm not just gonna be grateful in my heart, you know, 50 miles away. I'm gonna make the long trek knowing God's saying, wow, they are really, really, really grateful. Look at all that they went through just to express their gratitude. So this is a gift. This is a voluntary sacrifice, you know, expressing devotion to God. I just wanna be closer to God. 
So he says, okay, so, you know, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and when you get there, you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, and Jesus is so brilliant. He is intentionally ambiguous. He doesn't say what it is. He doesn't even say whose fault it is. He says, if you get there or as you're arriving there, or maybe you found your place in line and suddenly it comes to mind, oh yeah, yeah, we we need to talk when I get back. You know, I kind of left them hanging there and I, you know, you know what, I think she misunderstood what I said and she's, or he's down there. And so, you know, suddenly you remember there's a, there's a, you know, an interrupted conversation. There's an unresolved conflict. Well, you know, the way we think, the way Jesus' audience think, thought was this. Well, um, no problem. You know, I'll, I'll deal with that later. I'm gonna stand in line. I'm gonna make my gift to God and get, you know, let God know how grateful I am. Then, you know, when I go home, I'll deal with that. Says compartmentalized vertical religion, but not horizontal Jesus. Says internalized Religion, where our whole faith is just completely internalized, but not real world. Earthy is the new holy Jesus. (laughs) So to their shock and awe, he says, when that situation comes to mind, I want you to leave your gift there in front of the altar. (laughs) Wait, wait, did he say grieve? But he didn't say leave, did he say grieve? I think he said, wait, wait, what? You want us to leave it? wait. Like we're already there at the altar. Like we have, you know, we've been in, it's been days, maybe it's been hours, maybe, you know, it's been a while. And we're finally all the way to the place where we're one, two, three, four, we're seventh in line, honey. Just, just seven, just seven more people. We're almost there. And then I remember this thing back at home and I'm supposed to just leave my gift there. I mean, if I leave it there, when I get back, it may not be there. When I get back, it may have wandered away. What do you mean just leave it there? And Jesus says, yeah. Because the reason you're shocked, the reason you're dismayed, the reason this is so inconvenient is because you have things out of order. You're still thinking like a religious person. You're still thinking like an internalized religious person. First, first, as in of first importance, as in more important than what you came to do, go and be reconciled to them. Here's what they heard. Wait, Jesus, wait, Jesus, Jesus. Wait, you you want me to put them before God? And Jesus would say, no, this is how you put God first. This is how you put God first, by reconciling with those whom God loves. You put invisible God first by reconciling with your visible brother, brother brother-in-law, sister, that neighbor, the guy at work, the lady at work, and it wasn't a big deal, but you can tell, you know, what you said wasn't. And he says, yeah, if you, wanna, if you wanna be right with God, you just get right and stay right with the people God loves. You, you put invisible God first by reconciling with the people around you. And then if you want brownie points, you put God first by reconciling with your enemy. I mean, this was a complete category scramble for them, as it is for many of us. He said, oh, don't wanna leave you hanging. And then once you've done that, come back. Maybe somebody will hold your place in line. Maybe they won't. And then you come and you offer your gift. 
To which we say in our modern world, okay, okay, wait, 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 wait. Can't we just forgive them in our heads and believe in you in our heads? Can't we, can't we just kind of keep this all in our minds? Can't we just, I have forgiven them. I'm not gonna have anything to do with them. I'm certainly not gonna reach out, but I have forgiven them. So I forgave them in my mind and I believe in you in my heart. Isn't that enough? To which Jesus would say throughout the gospels, well, if you wanna be a believer, but not if you wanna be a follower and heads up, believers didn't change the world. Believers didn't shape Western civilization. It wasn't people who believed things that captured the imagination and the fascination of the Roman empire. It was the followers. So if you're gonna follow me, that means you have to do what I did. And at this point in his journey in the gospels, he could have smiled and said, folks, I haven't done nothing yet. You just wait. Because not only has your heavenly father come up with a plan to remove the obstacle of sin between you and your heavenly father, I am the vehicle. And if you're lucky, and if you happen to be in Jerusalem that mid-morning, you'll have the opportunity that people from this point forward for thousands of years would long to come back and see, except they would probably turn their head because your heavenly father is gonna offer his son as a sacrifice for sin so that he no longer has to hold your sin against you. That's how far he's willing to go to reconcile with you. So get out of line and go reconcile with your brother and your sister. It seems like a really big price to pay, but not in comparison to the price that's about to be paid. And even if you don't go with me on down that way of thinking, that, that train of thought, just know this, your father in heaven is glorified by your love for others on this earth. You can't just forgive them in your heart and believe in me in your head. Not if you're gonna follow me. Internalized religion lets us off the hook, doesn't it? Read the gospels. Neither Jesus nor his brother James, read his letter, had anything good to say about that approach to God. Jesus is actually inviting us. This is what's so powerful. He's actually inviting us to a better way of living that makes the world a better place to live. It's our way of teasing out or living out or walking out the essence of what we say we believe as Christians that as God reconciled us to himself, we have the opportunity, the responsibility to do everything we can to reconcile others to ourselves. In fact, here's one way to think about it. Every time you pray, every time you pray, pray for yourself, pray for a friend, a neighbor, somebody's health, whatever it might be, your kid's grades, your kids, anytime you pray, do you know what you're doing? In fact, if you're not really even a religious person, but every once in a while you kind of shoot up a prayer, you know, and you're not sure how it works, but you know, you just kind of shoot up a prayer. You almost can't. In fact, I, I've told this before. I have a friend who's, who was, used to be a pastor and he's an atheist and he admitted, and it wasn't a gotcha. It was just kind of funny. He, you know, he'd prayed for so long in his life. He says, every once in a while I accidentally pray. Like, you know, you just, you just look up. It's like, oh my gosh, or something like, oh my somebody, you know, or to whom it may concern. If there's anybody out there, help me. It's just kind of that. It's a human reaction to look up when we need help. We don't look down we need help. We look up when we need help. Did you know, regardless of your theology or if you even have any, every time you pray, you are celebrating and you are leveraging the fact that God did not stop with forgiveness, that he went the extra step 
and reconciled you unto himself so that you can have a relationship with God. The reason you imagine or actually believe or are confident that God hears your prayers is because your heavenly father forgave and reconciled. And every time we pray, we are leveraging, recognizing and celebrating that fact, which means in those moments, we're reminded, every time we pray, we're reminded that we've lost our right to just close the door on other people, roll up the welcome mat, pull up the drawbridge, throw up our hands and say, I don't care. And if they're ever willing to come around, I'm around, but I'm not making any more effort. He reconciled with you in order to have a relationship with you. So number three is I will make the first move regardless of who moved away first. And then the fourth decision, again, we've talked about it all along. I've just not challenged you to decide. The fourth one is simply this. I will in fact keep the door open and the welcome mat out. I'm deciding. I know it's the right thing to do. I've, you know, I've, I've thought about it. You know, it's difficult, but you know what? Have you decided? And when this person comes to mind or this group of people, have you decided? I'm deciding. I'm gonna keep the door open and I'm gonna keep the welcome mat out. Now, to be clear, I don't ever recommend, and nobody in their right mind would ever recommend you try to reconcile with someone who is unsafe physically or emotionally. But those people aside, this is an extraordinarily important decision for several reasons. Number one, this has to be a daily decision for some of us as it relates to some people because the hits just keep on coming, don't they? Every Thanksgiving, here it is again. Every Christmas, here it is again. Every time the family gets together, here it is again. Every time we say we're gonna do A, then you know, suddenly, I mean, it just keeps on coming, which means there are people perhaps in your life where this is a constant thing. Something's always happening. Something's always changing. They're always stirring the pot. They're always making it worse. They're always making it, you know, bad. And there's something in you and there's something in me that's like, you know what? Okay, I've had enough. I'm gonna cross my arms. I tried, I don't care, they're out and I've done everything I can do and I, I just don't have it in me to do anything else. And that's when we remember, the goal isn't to fix them and the goal isn't to fix it. The goal is no regrets. And this will reduce your regret. This will potentially keep you healthy. This will pretty much ensure there's no bitterness buildup. This decision as we talked about last time, keeps the hurt connected to its actual source. It makes it difficult to transfer the hurt from one relationship to another. But the moment you close the door, the moment you roll up the welcome mat, the moment you say, never, ever again, you're out. And there's still that angst and that energy and that stuff, it's gonna go somewhere. And chances are, it's gonna go with you to another relationship. So if I could, you know, pry for just a minute, I wanna ask those of you who are married an emotional question. And this may be something your husband or wife has suggested in the past and you lost it. And they decided we are never going there again. Or maybe they brought it up two or three times and every time they do, they have to just kind of gear themselves up because they know what's coming. And every time they bring this up, there's something in you it's like, I should pay attention to that because that just churns me up. So I'm gonna ask it from the safety and distance of the stage, <laughs> the safety of a camera lens. Is it possible 
I'm no counselor. Is it possible that your father or your mother is haunting your marriage? Is it possible that your father or your mother is haunting? What do I mean by haunting? I mean, their presence and the angst of what happened in the past, it just, it just sits there. It infiltrates. It, it, it causes you to overreact or underreact. You go ballistic or you just shut down. And you're not even sure why, because you look at the details of the situation or the argument and you're like, you know what? I don't think this, you know, created that. But if anybody else brings it up, oh, pity the fool, right? Because you got hurt. And you, I mean, and anybody in your city, this genuine hurt. I mean, you have every reason in the world to be angry and hurt. And somewhere along the way, you decided that you didn't care. And when you decided you didn't care, you rolled up the welcome mat and you shut the door. And consequently, you didn't mean to do this. You became a carrier. Because when core relationships break, something in us breaks as well. And most of the time, we really don't know what to do, especially when we were young. And then we do the wrong things and perhaps make things worse. But now you know. And the reason I wanted to focus this on that is I wanna challenge you to decide. Would you decide? No regrets, no regrets. I'm not gonna get to the end. I'm not gonna get to a funeral and wish I could go back. I'm not doing that. I'm not, that's not gonna be my story. You gotta decide that's not gonna be my story. I'm not gonna wait till I get that call and go, oh, you know, I should, no, I'm not, that's not gonna be my story. You're not gonna let that be your story. No regrets. I will get back to, I am not gonna get back at. I will own my slice of the blame pie. It is so tiny, it is so insignificant, but you know what? I wanna see that relationship clearly. And if there's anything in my eye keeping me from seeing clearly, I want it out. And I'm gonna make the first move, even though I'm not the one that created the mess. I'm gonna make the first move even though I'm not the one that moved away relationally speaking. And I'm gonna keep that door open and I'm gonna keep that welcome mat out. And when I think it's too much, and when I think I've stretched as far as I can stretch, and when everything in me wants to close that door, I'm gonna remember what my father in heaven through Christ did for me. He does not count my sins against me in my relationship with him. So by his grace, I'm gonna do for him, I'm gonna do for her, and I'm gonna do for them what through Christ my heavenly father did for me. I'm gonna keep the door open. No regret. Now, I wanna take kind of a hard right turn for a minute. And I wanna say something to those of you who are not Christians, you're not Jesus followers, um, not religious, maybe a different religion, um, used to be, um, walked away from it. In fact, you're only listening or watching because you know, you're staying at someone's home and this is what they do, you know, or they, they made you come to church, I understand that. And, and I'll say this too, I say this all the time. If I were to hear your story, 
um, I probably wouldn't be a Christian either. I mean, if I experienced what you experienced, so I'm not criticizing you at all. I just, I wanna end by extending an invitation directly to you. And the reason I want to extend this invitation specifically to those of you who might fall into that category is this. Often, not always, but often, a broken relationship is the catalyst for a broken faith. Oftentimes, a broken relationship, somewhere in the past or maybe current, maybe a family member, maybe another Christian or a group of Christians or a, bro- a break with a relationship with a church. I don't know what your story is. But more often than not, a broken relationship is the catalyst for a broken faith. And I'll be honest, that's difficult to admit because you're smart and you know that those two things really are mutually exclusive, but it felt connected when it happened. And as difficult as it might be for you, it could be that those dots are actually connected because more often than not, they are. So as much as I hope that you'll reconcile with your brother and your sister, and as much as I hope that you'll reconcile with your prodigal son or your prodigal daughter or your prodigal father or that friend next door, or that neighbor, or that person at work, and it wasn't a big thing, it was a little thing, but and as much as I hope that you'll take those steps and make these decisions, I wanna urge you and plead with you and invite you to be reconciled to God, to be reconciled to your father in heaven. The apostle Paul, he was so direct to brand new Christians in Corinth. Listen to how he said it. This is where I got the words. He says, we implore you, we beg of you on Christ's behalf because of what Christ has done for you. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. I, I, I know your story, he would say. I've heard your story. I was there for your story. I get it. You have every reason in the world, but be reconciled to God who removed all the obstacles and went looking for you, not to get back at you, but to get back to you. He's the father in the story of the prodigal son who's done everything he can and he's waiting and he's wanting and he's wishing and he's longing and he's imploring, be reconciled to me, be reconciled to God. Because in spite of you, he loves you. And when you're ready, or if you're ever ready, we're here for you. Because as hard as this may be for you to believe, every single one of us, starting with me, we all have a be reconciled to God's story of our own. So I invite you, stop resisting, stop rehearsing that narrative look beyond what he did and look beyond what she didn't do. And would you please be reconciled to God? Heavenly Father, it's a lot easier to stand up here and talk about than to walk down the stairs and back into my real world and do. But you did it for me. You did it for everybody here. You did it for everybody listening. You did it for everybody in the whole world. So would you give us eyes to see the people around us in a different way and ears to hear? Would you give us the courage to act? Would you give us the wisdom to know what to do, what not to do, how far to push this, when to step back? And Father, whatever it is you're calling us to do, we wanna follow. We don't wanna be believers. 
We, would, we wanna be doers. We wanna be part of that group that changes things and brings about change, not under in our own strength, but simply by following you. You've invited us into a different way of living that makes the world a different place to live in. And we wanna be a part of that. And it starts and it begins for many of us by making these decisions. So give us wisdom to know what to do, the courage to do it. And Father, for the man or the woman or the college student or the high school student, whoever, who just, just puts you in the, just has pushed you away and pushed you away and pushed you away. I pray, oh God, that they would be reconciled to their Father in heaven in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more messages like this, we've made it super easy. First, you can hit the subscribe button to get these messages on your device every week. Second, you can download our app from iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your apps. Or third, you can check out our YouTube channel. Just search for Buckhead Church and make sure to subscribe. Have a great day.